Sacramental Charismatic Podcast. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, thank you for tuning in. And if you're listening on whatever you use to get your podcast, uh, welcome as well. Um, my name is Luke Gerdy, as I have said before, and I'm a pastor theologian in Northern California, and I'm enjoying sunny 70 degree weather right now, while many other people in the country are not enjoying that. And so I just want to let you know that I am enjoying it for you. Um, I'm really excited about today because I have on uh, my guest is going to be a, a person I've looked up to. I've read a lot of his work. And so I would like to welcome Winfield Bevins. What's up, Winfield? Hey, what's up, man? Great to be here with you today. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, Winfield, for anybody who's not up on the church planting, multiplication, discipleship, sacramental theology, uh, it's cool to be an Anglican world. Winfield, uh, you are you're at Asbury uh, Seminary, and you're uh, you're in you're the director of church planning there, I believe. Correct? Yeah. Yep. And you've written a lot of books on church planning. I think that's where I first encountered your work because I think you were like writing. It felt like you were writing books every fifteen minutes on that subject. Is that an accurate? I've, I've written a couple church planning books. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just they kept coming out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, recently, um, well, not so much recently, but I, I know in the last couple of years, I've been I've been more tuned into your your work in relation to what I would consider like missional sacramental uh, that intersection, and I'm just super thankful for you being a part of this podcast because our you know my I've kind of talked about how uh, this podcast is this intersection between pneumatology, ecclesiology, missiology with sacramentality all all about it because I think sacramental theology tends to be really good about bringing those together. Yeah. So I'm I'm pumped to have you, man. Um, so what's what's the weather like in, in Kentucky? Just well, just it's to... not sunny seventy. It's um, the sun is out. It was twenty degrees this morning and snow Ooh. was on the ground. Um, I am sorry. So I'm sorry. We pray for you, you walk daily. Walk outside for a few minutes and get some fresh sun on your face, and then come in before you get frostbite. <laughs> yeah. Get a little bit of vitamin K and then go back inside. There you go. Gotcha. That's it. Um, so, hey, I'd love to maybe just have us dive right into sacramentality. Um, you know, you have a book called Ever Ancient, Ever New, which um, has been um, not just about liturgy, but I think it kind of introduces um, readers to the sacramental tapestry, so to speak. So I'd love to have you maybe think about or, or share with us, like, what is so... Um, both helpful about sacramental theology for the church today, even for churches maybe that are outside of that tradition? And then what's attractive to it? Um, I know you came up, you grew up in a free church environment, and now you're an Anglican dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I describe, well, I love sacramental charismatic podcast. I mean, that's me. Um, you know, I tell people I'm kind of a missional evangelical low church um sacramental charismatic with the seatbelt Anglican. So that's me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically like a vineyard sacramental guy. <laughs> yeah. Now I think, um, I think the sacramentality, uh, which is in essence, a sacramental worldview is what's missing is kind of uh, in, in some ways is kind of the glue that does bring all of the stuff together that you kind of were just briefly touching on. And really you have, the loss of a sacramental up until say um, you know, the, the, the 
the age of the, you know, the Reformation. And, you know, there were, there were all these kind of things that were kind of happening that were kind of contributing to a de, a desacramentalization of the church. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have the, the you know, the, the industrial revolution, you have um, the age of reason, you know, and then you have developments happening in the church. It's moving the church in a very kind of pragmatic kind of non-sacramental worldview. Mm. And what you see is up until that time period to be a Christian was to have a sacramental, to see God um, present, um, to see the, mm. the, the imminence of God rather than the transcendence of God. And so post-Reformation, uh, evangelical Protestant Christians have really emphasized kind of the transcendence of God at the expense of the eminence of God and sacramental, you know, what is sacramental worldview? What is sac- sacramentality essentially sees all of life as sacramental, not just what happens on Sunday morning, even mm-hmm. it yeah. refuses to bifurcate between sacred and secular. It sees mm-hmm. God. Um, this isn't pan pantheism by any stretch, it, it, but it yeah. sees creation as good. And it mm-hmm. sees God here with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Um, mm-hmm. So Jesus is the great sacrament and um, God is the creator. And, and um, so recovering this, Rowan Williams says this, I love this quote. He says, all places, all people, all things have to them an unexpected sacramental depth. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's a, it's a recovery of understanding that God is here with us. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I just had a Glenn Packiam on uh, last week, and Glenn's an Anglican priest at New Life. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but oh yeah, um, good friend. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's it's. We were just talking about how matter matters, like in sacramental. You know, the sacramental world. You you start to see that. You know, you can't just spiritualize everything. Um, so, do you think you know you, you your book ever ancient, ever new, the allure of liturgy? Do you think that there's an allure to the sacramental tapestry in in relation to missiology, like when? you see church planning yeah. you you think that the the culture and society is longing for for some um i guess uh presence for some some something deeper than just what they see yeah i think god created us because as sacramental beings to long for holism to long for kind of to be connected to god and and culture and nature and mm. um actually i'm literally um almost you know, I'm on the finishing few chapters in a book called Liturgy and Mission, um, and it's kind of discovering roots for mission in a modern world. And um, just finished a chapter on sacramentality and um, mm. connecting. You know, I, I think these are two kind of um, worlds um, that have been disconnected: is is worship, liturgy, and mission. And I think mm. the sacraments actually are directly connected um, to our to our mission. Yeah. yeah, that was an observation. I uh, uh, attended a Anglican church a couple of weeks ago, and it was—I wouldn't say it was like a super high high liturgy, um, but it was more liturgical um, than the common free church experience. And mm-hmm. I was talking to the priest after it. Uh, really nice guy. Um, a great church, actually, Restoration Church in uh, Minneapolis. And uh, I was telling him how the, my observation as an outsider who really looks into Anglicanism as I like, oh, my gosh, there's so many things about that tradition that I just find warming my heart um, to use the Wesley, uh, <laughs> Wesley vibe. But mm-hmm. I um, 
I was telling him how the challenge it seems like is when you go more sacramental and more liturgical, oftentimes there seems to be like a lot, a loss of being able to contextualize, you know, like it's always the, 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 um, the person coming off the street might feel like, Whoa, what in the heck just happened? So you call you describe yourself as a low, a low church, uh, Anglican, um, what does that look like? And how do you see that? Like, how do you see um, the churches being able to worship using liturgy and using the richness of of the daily office and, you know, the Book of Common Prayer, but yet making it accessible to people who are maybe new to the church? Or, I mean, is that something you would say needs to be done in the service? Or are there other ways to make liturgy accessible to? Yeah, I think one is, you know, regardless of what, how high your church is, I, I joke saying that I actually do like I love liturgy and I like high church liturgy. I can do the smells and bells. I can throw the collar on. You know, I'm an Anglican yeah. priest, but I can get happy clappy with you. You know, um, yeah. I think it, you know if you're doing more of a high church approach, and I would imagine most people on on you know following you know listening today on your thing probably aren't or probably, probably not. interested in just how do we do liturgy? And I think yeah, there's yeah. a historic, I think where I would say is to begin with kind of, and I talk about this in ever ancient, ever new, I have a chapter. What is the liturgy? Mm-hmm. There is, it's not just lighting a couple candles and throwing out a piece of bread yeah. on the back table. I've seen that happen. That's not sacramental. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've seen, I've seen all kinds of crazy weird stuff, you know, people trying to pass off a sacramental yeah. liturgical. I think there's actual a fourfold framework to the liturgy, to the historic liturgy that can be contextualized um, to an African-American Pentecostal context, to a, mm-hmm. a vineyard context. I think you can actually worship in a way that is a continuity with the historic fourfold structure. And so in the, the historic liturgy, you have a gathering where the people of God, they leave the world to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, then the second kind of, you know, this is typically where there's worship. Usually there's a call to worship. Um, uh, this is, you know, the worship music during this section can be very contextual. So mm-hmm. I think in terms of praise and worship or hymns, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You know, you can contextualize it for if you're in Africa, it could be yeah. kind of out of doors un- underneath a tree, you know, Um and so then the second part of the liturgy, think of it like a symphony, like a four-part symphony. So the first part's like the gathering. The second part is the hearing. This is where you come, you hear the word of God. And in a liturgical service, you have multiple readings of scripture. So it's not just taking a yeah. verse and then just riffing on a verse and going in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're immersed in a biblical worldview. And this is what I love about the liturgy at first can be a little jarring to especially a lot of evangelical charismatics that aren't mm-hmm. used to hearing the word of God read aloud um, mm-hmm. in large portions. Yeah. Um, once you get used to it, you long for it and you're like, mm-hmm. man, give me more of the word of God. What can be more evangelical than that? Right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so in that second part, you have the hearing of the word, and then you have the sermon or the homily. And again, this is where the preacher kind of preaches the word of God. Mm -hmm. Um, Then there's a, um, in the liturgical service, there's a confession of sin. Well, that's a good thing. There's there's also, uh, you recite the creed together Mm -hmm. because you're affirming our common faith that we believe together. Um, and so it's an affirmation of faith. This all happens in that second part, right? 
Well, these elements can apply to any church service anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And then the third part, after having heard the word and gathered, we gather around the table. This mm-hmm. is where we feast at the table of the Lord. And as a charismatic, you know, I tell people we the preach, you know, the music might not have been good and the preaching may have stunk that Sunday, but you know you're going to get Jesus at the table. Mm-hmm. And um, as coming at it through charismatic lenses, Jesus promises to meet us at the table of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a, I'm a Wesleyan. So as a Wesleyan, we believe in the real presence. We don't believe in transubstantiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means the literally becomes the body. But we believe that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, God is present to us as yeah. we come in faith. And then here's the kicker. The fourth part of the symphony of liturgy is the sending. It's the, it's the sending mm-hmm. out. So the traditional term, the mass um, yeah. comes from the Latin word Misa, where yeah. go you were sent. And the whole um, uh, pattern of the liturgy is that we gather together, that we're, we hear the word of God, we mm-hmm. are fed at the table, and then we are sent out on mission. So I call it the yeah. missional shape of liturgy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that's the beauty of liturgy, actually. Uh, it's funny when I, when I talk to people who have maybe grown up in high church environments and they'll say crazy things like, oh, they didn't even talk about the Bible there. I'm like, ah, there's more scripture read in a liturgical service than most evangelical churches because you have scripture reading on a significant manner. And I think you're right. Like now, um, you know, every time I've been in that environment, it just makes my heart heart um happy to hear so much scripture in our our music team here in our church because we're we're kind of moving in this direction where i would say like we're really conscientious of the six dreams of richard foster like we're saying hey we want to be a a church that encompasses all of those and trying to do that in the vineyard would be (laughs) in a vineyard church and uh but our music team we've had a lot of conversations about that about wanting to incorporate more scripture reading because it just seems like we've we have in many ways undervalued the public reading of scripture and just the transformative nature of actually hearing scripture in and of itself we don't even have to provide commentary all the time on it because the psalms for example are really they're very good right they're they're they, they sustain our faith yeah that's that's great um I think that that's kind of what's been uh, uh, helpful in your work for me is thinking through, because um, again, I, I think that your work um, is really accessible to maybe people who didn't come up in the liturgical world, so to speak, because it's like, oh, I can get around those four those four movements because it's moving in a direction that evangelicals generally could say, oh, yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. Um, I want so I want to talk about this other book, though, uh, and I'd love to pick your brain on this a little bit. So this is the book. For those who are watching, it's called Living Room Liturgy. And um, so I, my quick, quick story, I started doing the Book of Common daily office, probably Book of Common Prayer, probably about two and a half years ago. I started, I just found it was really helpful for me. Um, and that was just through the Logos Bible app. I did the readings. And then I actually ordered a copy of the Book of Common Prayer, which I found out was very thick. So then I went to one of those pocket-sized versions. And I just love how it has liturgies for everything. I mean, you literally have something for everything. Um, but the accessibility for like my five kids, you know, all of the different ages, what is obviously a little bit challenging. Um, this book has been fantastic for my family because it has, I mean, you have a prayer, a liturgy for, for pets. When I, I, that was the first thing I saw actually, I flipped through it. I was like, 
what a liturgy for pets uh for a new pet uh for family blessings things like that so talk about this book a little bit tell me you know, share with my our viewers and listeners why did you write it and kind of what's the aim and um maybe how it yeah. can function as a family devotional yeah well well, several things. One, you know, I've written several little prayer books over the last few years, and I've got a little red prayer book, and people call it the red prayer book, and it's a little cardboard cover. Seedbed Publishing has mm. done these, and it has sold tens of thousands of copies. It's been amazing. Church planners will buy them up and hand them out to their churches. They'll, you know, I, I tell awesome. people it's like a little Baptist track, except it's prayer, you know, and it's yeah. simplified and, morning and, and evening prayer. For anybody watching or listening, there will be a link in the description for that too. I'll, I'll link that to the description uh, to the Seedbed account. That's awesome. Yeah. So that really got a lot of traction. Then I did a little family version of that. That's like just a little more simplified, you know, a little more kind of lower on the on the shelf so the kids can mm -hmm. get access to the prayers too. And um, it kind of hit me. I was I was at a conference and there was a pastor. I didn't, I don't even know who the guy was, but I saw him on Facebook. He copied me in there. He said, said, yeah, using the little red prayer book with my family at the conference, you know, we're doing the morning and evening prayer together. Even though I'm away, we're still doing this. And I got to thinking, man, that red prayer book was a little over the head of my family. You know, I should mm -hmm. do a family one. And so I'd been thinking about this for a while and had kind of been tinkering on it and have been theologically um, kind of Re working through the recovery of the domestic church. Like we need to be a mm. part of a church and the church, yeah. um, but we need to see our homes as a domestic church because the early church, the early church fathers, St. John of Chrysostom said, mm -hmm. the church is a little church. Your the home is a little church, the domestic church. And they use these, yeah. this language. And uh, again, up until uh, probably the last hundred years, I mean, even the reformers spoke about domestic church, um, Calvin, Luther, um, even Jonathan Edwards talked about the church is a yeah. little home or, or the, the, what, the, the home rather is a little church. Mm -hmm. And um, so to be honest, when COVID hit, um, you know, I was working from home. And literally in my closet, like I was set up in my closet. Now I'm a little more polished. I've got, you know, I'm downstairs. I've got a gray wall behind me. But literally I was in my closet working on top of my dresser. There were a lot of people doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we all were. And I, I just really felt the Lord press me to, to press into this book. And so the little book you've flashed up there, um, I wrote and compiled um, started probably in March of last year, finished it in a couple months, um, compiled liturgies, prayers, scriptures. It's just mm -hmm. each little liturgy is, um, lit the idea of living room liturgy is to, again, um, how do we make our homes sacred places, places mm -hmm. of encounter, not just living. Why shouldn't, mm -hmm. why, why should, you know, why bifurcate and shouldn't mm -hmm. our homes also be a place of worship and prayer and, and again, we're not talking about like going to church and like getting all dressed up and fancy and being mm -hmm. hyper formal. We're just talking about giving prayers to people. And so just like you said, there are prayers for ordinary seasons. Mm -hmm. uh, there's prayers for the seasons of the church year, like Christmas. I mean, there's stuff like every year I'm scrambling to like get together prayers for Advent. So I just put them all in there. Selfishly, yeah. I just put together a prayer book that I, I would use. 
Yeah, it, I also love how um, you have the prayers of the saints. And so the, the last yes. section of the book uh, yep. is just, um, I wouldn't say random, but random uh, saints spanning throughout church yeah, history. Um, right. Yeah, just, uh, and, and actually I've been, we've been using it in our church. I mean, I'm I'm a like a, a huge fan of the uh, idea of connecting with those yep. prayers because I think it ties us to the ancient church uh, quite a bit. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. Um what would the other you thing say, that you're, to be honest is there's a whole yeah. section of prayers during difficult seasons. Like, mm. and what I've found is a lot of, a lot of Christians like, like, so maybe someone's listening saying, well, why, why would we use a written prayer, man? We got the Holy ghost, you know, <laughs> I'd say, you know what? There are times when you don't feel like praying. There are times where you don't mm. have words to pray. Yeah. And in seasons of brokenness and seasons, the other thing that we've lost is again, we no longer celebrate key moments in life like birthdays. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we throw birthday parties, but do we actually give that yeah. to the Lord? And so there's mm-hmm. little liturgies for, and they're just, again, there's a scripture, then there's a prayer. There's yeah. A very, very, I mean, they're, they're super uh, accessible. I mean, I, again, I mean, that's not the, I mean, that's not the best word, but it feels that way. Um, so my, in my family, we are, this is the question I have. Uh, I'd love to have your thoughts on. We, we so my I've got five kids. They span from seventeen all the way down to six. So pretty across the board. Um, and morning is World War Three. I've got three <laughs> older daughters um, yeah. and two boys, and they're all vying for getting ready. Uh, so the morning has been a, a bit challenging to to do. Yet at the same time, too, I was raised in evangelicalism, where it's like if you don't start the day reading the Bible, you're probably going to hell. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So what, what has worked best for your family? And maybe what have you seen other families do that have incorporated this into a rhythm or a habit? Like, I mean, is every day legitimate or do you have like a yeah. unique Monday, Wednesday, Friday? What would you say would be the best yeah. way? To no, that's a great this? question. Again, I, th- I think the beauty of this is we're talking about, you know, I tell people liturgy and kind of morning and evening prayer. This stuff, this, this gives you a structure, not a straitjacket. <laughs> that's and good. written prayers um they're not it's not an either or it's not like do i pray in the spirit do i pray spontaneous or this Mm -hmm. it's a both and and these prayers and these rhythms can enrich your personal prayer life and back to that idea of it's a structure not a straitjacket you know i tell people you know doing home worship and family prayer it's messy right it's like a messy church you know and you gotta you know you got to involve everyone. And there are times where there'll be like moments of glory. And then there's other times, like, is anyone getting it? And you just, yeah. you know, you just have to just, it's what we do regularly through our repetitions that form and shape us. And again, for, for us, the family table is, you know, literally um, my wife, if, if you got the little family prayer book, the little cardboard, my wife wrote the forward to that. And it's beautiful. It's called The Family Table. And she wrote this beautiful reflection on just how how life just happens around our table. Um, mm-hmm. I like the idea of a living room. But for us as a family, we eat dinners together. And at that mm-hmm. table, um, we have communion. We celebrate life we pray together and so that's where we do life together but we also that's for us the kind of the place of worship so mm-hmm. find whatever is a good place in the home and yeah. it may be difficult for everyone to do morning and evening prayer together every day but maybe mm-hmm. it's evening prayer maybe it's yeah 
Um, you know, maybe it's just a quick prayer as you're heading out the door in the morning, you know, or whatever's happening. But maybe th- these prayers, there, there's an ancient word for, for um, some of these prayers called the collects, where they literally collect us together around a common theme and an idea, and they collect us. And that's that's kind of what these these prayers do. They bring us to back together, and we're praying rhythms and prayers that the church has prayed throughout the ages. Mm, that's great. So for you, for your family, dinner table's been pretty much the- yeah the dinner table's it for us like yeah. man don't sacrifice the table like what what's happened is if you think about the dinner table is is the biblical the table is the mm-hmm. biblical meeting place um yeah. where again the Object. lord's table is a yeah know, last supper the mm-hmm. you know um you you have all of these metaphors of the kingdom that take place around the dinner table and so uh, what's happened in modern technological society, the TV and now the screens, you know, have mm-hmm. replaced everything. And so yeah. this stuff needs to be put up, you know, at yeah. the dinner table, you know, phones away. We're going to we're going to be together. And this is one of the core values. And no matter what's going on, we're going to have dinner together every. Meal. Yeah, you're 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 pressing into embodiment and relationship and community. That's great. That's actually why. So I, I gotten the uh, book on my Kindle and I was like, Oh, this is great. But I was like, I just need a paper copy um, of the book. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really like that idea. That's kind of what we've found in our family is that evenings way easier. And we just last night uh, around the dinner table, we were all talking about wanting to make more of a priority uh, for that space to connect. And I'm we're tonight we're using the living room liturgy, man. Uh, it's <laughs> going to be fun. We might even pray for a new pet um so so your uh your your work on liturgy um you know because i think you you've another book by the way i wanted to recommend is our common prayer your your commentary essentially on the book of common prayer is really really helpful i've given it to a couple people that were um you know like i gave them a book of common prayer and they were like uh what do i do with this and i was like okay so hold on there's this reader that goes along with it that'll help help you kind of figure out the rhythms and and the 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 uh way that this book can help um has the book of common prayer been a big part of your life for quite a long time or is it somewhat somewhat like how did you get into anglicanism i guess because you were a free free church guy yeah Yeah, so the book of common prayer is kind of like the gateway drug to you know for for for, it's kind of like the 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 thing that gets most people into liturgy it's kind of like the low-hanging fruit like oh this is kind of reformational it's not too you know it's not it feels very good you know and again the way you know the anglicanism is is a product of the english reformation so it's reformational uh it is evangelical and and cramner's vision of the lord's table and sacraments is very charismatic actually yeah 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 theology there i would argue yeah and so I just kind of, man, I was just hungry. I was, I was a missional kind of church, low church plant kind of leader, but I just had this longing for, you know, rhythms and patterns. And, you know, I had a personal prayer life. I had the Holy spirit, but I just didn't have um, the, you know, what, what spiritual practices do, they, 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 they undergird and they give us a, again, back to that idea of a structure to support, it's kind of like if you're going to build a house, you need to put the frame up and then you put all the other stuff in there 
And it's like people come to faith and we say, hey, here's your Bible and you just go pray and everything's going to be great. Well, throughout 2000 years of church history, there's 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 wisdom in the well and there's treasures um, to be to be had. You know, it's kind of like coming up into your grandparents attic and, you know, opening this treasure chest and being like, oh, my gosh, look at this stuff. This, mm-hmm. Does this belong to us? Can I can I wear the shirt? Like it's like a vintage shirt, grandfather's. It was amazing. It's actually priceless. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like the Book of Common Prayer, liturgy, it's kind of like this stuff does not belong to one particular tradition. It belongs to the church. Mm-hmm. And again, these frameworks like the fourfold structure of liturgy, this is how Christians have worshipped. For 2000, I mean, literally the earliest Christians worshipped in a similar format. Yeah. And it it allows us to be in continuity with. Yeah. And um, I forgot what your question was. I was kind of going off. I mean, there's there's other stuff I discovered out of there, like catechesis, which is a fancy word for basic questions and answers. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where I discovered a lot of this, Luke, was I was a church planner. We planted in the Outer Banks. We were on an island. Dozens of people were coming to faith. And I was like, what am I going to, I didn't, what am I going to teach these people? Like, mm-hmm. what do Christians believe? Yeah. You know, we give them a Bible and hopefully they're going to be, our, they're going to make it. And um, I discovered the Apostles' Creed. Mm-hmm. How I stumbled across, I stumbled, uh, I was in a used bookstore and saw I had been to seminary and never heard of the relevance of the, of the creeds and never even heard the word catechesis. I saw Martin Luther's small catechism. Mm -hmm. Heck is this opened it up. And it's just questions and answers. I'm like, Mm -hmm. what is this? And then I got into it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, how do we learn? How do we teach children? Mm-hmm. Children grow by asking questions. And so the earliest quit Christians developed these basic questions and answers around who made the world? God. Who mm-hmm. is God? God is the father creator of all things. Who is yeah. Jesus? Jesus is the son of God, died for us. And, and, and so I discovered these simple kind of tools to make disciples. And so that's how it kind of, I fell into a rabbit hole that just kept yeah. And you weren't you weren't a part of the Anglican tradition. No, no, we were an independent plant on an yeah. island, literally. Like yeah, yeah. In California, I was plumb on the other side of the East Coast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and wow. and so, uh, yeah. So that's kind of. It wasn't Cranmer's kind of intention with the Book of Common Prayer, and you know, putting that together was to put prayer in the Bible into the into the home. Wasn't that one of the main yeah. intentions of it? Was just to really em- enhance discipleship. Uh, Absolutely, in the church. It was the goal of common prayer is that we all pray in common. Mm-hmm. It's pretty theologically amazing, actually. Yeah. What Cranmer did was we know the Bible, so take it this way. You know, you still have some, you know, some Southern Baptists are still like King James only, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the whole yeah. King James argument. <laughs> yeah. It's good enough for the Apostle Paul. It's good enough for mm-hmm. me. Praise God. And so I'm sorry if you're a King James. You sounded, you sounded, by the way, like you're in Kentucky right now. You were like filtering the. I am. Kentucky, and Kentucky vibe. So what's fascinating, here's what I want to say is 
the Book of Common Prayer is the second most significant, widely used um, religious document of the English-speaking world, second only to the King James Bible in terms of the vernacular, in terms of words, religious words and phrases, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Who who do you think invented that? Cramner. Mm -hmm. The Book of Common Prayer is like the godfather of of all other prayer books. I mean, it, it literally is... It shaped the religious devotional language of the English-speaking people. Yeah. You can't underestimate that. I mean, really, if you did any research around the mm-hmm. the the impact of of that as a book, and yeah. um, it seems it seems like uh, it's kind of even just think of how many people. Um, I mean, I'm not an Anglican priest, and yet I use it every single day. And I know yes. many people who Absolutely. are outside of the Anglican tradition who are like. You know, I don't know if we're closet Anglicans. Uh, I don't know if we're going to be accidental Anglicans like Todd Hunter. I'm not sure. But there's so many of us who are using the Book of Common Prayer because it's just a really, really good resource for followers of Jesus uh, to to enhance their own faith and their prayer life and their discipleship. And it's it's really great. The beauty of it, again, back to that idea of common prayer, was what Cramner did that was so revolutionary. And this this is where I was going with that stream of thought was – what made the the English speaking Bible revolutionaries was that the Bible was all of a sudden in the language of the English speaking people. Mm-hmm. What Cramner did was the exact same thing. Was he took the Latin Mass? Imagine if your entire life you had only heard mm-hmm. church service in a foreign language. Mm-hmm. So what Cramner does with the English speaking prayer book is he makes it in common language. To where the priest and the person, the you know, the people on stage, if you will, are saying the same prayers as the people in the pews. Absolutely revolutionary. Yeah. And so it's also a prayer book that was designed to be used as you gather together in worship, but also to be used in private personal prayer. Mm-hmm. And what Cramner did also was he created the first um, open source Bible reading plan. Mm-hmm. And so the lect- it's called the lectionary. And mm-hmm. so I- I'm telling you, the stuff's amazing. So imagine this is the first time people in, in England have a prayer book in their own language. Yeah. There's worship services in their own language, and they have access to the Bible. This stuff's revolutionary. Yeah. And so what I- that's what I love about the lectionary is these readings daily and weekly following it as a church – Mm-hmm. Um, you're exposed to the scriptures daily and weekly. You go, it's That's a right. through the Bible, you know, it's plan. Not just, it's not just the old Testament, not just the new Testament, not just the Psalms. I mean, it's, it's a really comprehensive and I'm, I'm as a charismatic right now, I will say this. Uh, I'm, I am fascinated by how many times when I'm reading that, that particular text for that day is so fitting. Yeah. I mean, there's been numerous times where I'm like, there's no way that, you know, the, like God and his sovereignty um, and the, putting this thing together it's like uh, it's just amazing how um how relevant those texts are which obviously speaks a lot to the beauty of scripture itself but it really is a fascinating uh phenomenon well let me do this before i let you go because i know you've got probably churches to plant and books to write and things like that but uh so i we know you're anglican we know that you're a church planner but i mean i'm not so sure about the charismatic card i mean so you got a cool you got a cool story for us like what's a charismatic thing that's happened recently 
<laughs> prove it. Have you spoken in tongues today? I mean, I need to know like what's going on. Yeah, I you know I do have a, I do have a prayer language. Um, I was kidding. I was kidding about that too. Maybe it's another yeah. gift. I don't know. I'm not Pentecostal. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll say this, Luke. I'll just share a real quick personal story. I I had really, you know, I came to faith at 19. Um, was was kind of more in the Pentecostal stream uh, for a number of years. Had a real genuine Holy Spirit encounter. Um, coming out of seminary had, had really been deeply wounded by a Pentecostal denomination, um, had really been very seriously betrayed, um, and just turned my back on the Pentecostal charismatic movement and just said, these people are nuts and I'm, I'm going to go plant a church and be an understandable though. And, um, you know, we planted the church, but I always had you know, my personal kind of private Holy Spirit walk with the Lord, if you will. And, you know, went, went about 10 years. And as, as the, the irony is, as I was drawn to Anglicanism, um, I was at an Anglican event um, in Texas and I was one of the speakers. And this was, um, this is prior to the formation of the ACNA, this is yeah. Anglican mission days. And it was a winter conference and there was an evening worship service where um, it was called power prayer night. I was like, what are these people? Charismatics, you know? <laughs> so I was like, I guess I'll show up for this thing. And, and one of the bishops or leaders said, Hey, listen, you know what, tonight we're just going to worship the Lord. And we've got prayer stations around the room. And if you need prayer, we just want to pray for you you know, and nothing crazy, nothing weird. And I felt like the Lord said, you need to go up for prayer. And I hadn't been in a prayer service like that in 10 years. You know, I mean, literally I had, and the amazing things, I went up there and received prayer. Nobody laid hands on me, but it was, it was like the Lord just gave me this fresh and filling with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And um, the great irony, said all that to say this, Luke, is I've been deeply wounded by the Pentecostal charismatic movement. And the irony is um, part of my faith journey is in embracing Anglicanism, which literally for me, it's not about being an Anglican as much as being a, a holistic sacramental formed yeah. Christian. Mm. Embracing Anglicanism um, really allowed me to re-embrace the Holy Spirit in a beautiful, deeper way. And, I, I've, I've just been walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and in ways that are rich and healthy and vibrant. Um, the way I describe kind of being a liturgical sacramental charismatic is it's kind of like if you're charismatic and you're not sacramental, oftentimes the focus is on kind of the outward manifestations at the at the expense of the inward. Yeah, and for me, being kind of a more contemplative sacramental charismatic is I've, I've discovered this deeper inner work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And as you read the Eastern Fathers, as you dig into the early church, they, I mean, they're using language of encounter and mm. language of just Holy Spirit, you know, tongues and singing in, in the Spirit and all this stuff. And it's all sacramental. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's the beauty is we can claim all that God has for us. Back to that at the very beginning, we talk about sacramentality is mm -hmm. a sacramental worldview sees God not just in the church service. Yeah, that's right. Or just in the bread and the wine. Mm -hmm. 
but it's a, it's a holistic worldview that sees that God is moving everywhere and God's on the move and I want to join him and I want to experience all that God has for me. Mm, that's awesome, man. I don't think I could agree with you more. Um, it's been an honor and a pl- privilege to have you on the podcast, uh, Winfield. And I'm, uh, like I said, to anybody who's listening, watching, there's links in the description to all these different books, because I would highly recommend you pick them up. Thank you for your time. Uh, what can we be looking forward to, uh, you putting out and when's it going to come out? Yeah. If you really want to dig into more of this, um, ever ancient, ever new, Um, the allure of liturgy for a new generation. I interviewed over 200 young adults across the U.S. There's even a chapter on um, charismatics embracing liturgy sacraments. So um, so many people have read that book and have said, man, it's like you interviewed me over a cup of coffee. Yeah, that's right. Um, And so that's a book I would recommend as a starting point. I'm finishing a book, Liturgy and Mission, um, with IVP at the moment. That's going to be coming out probably early 2022. Uh, it really integrates all of this stuff, uh, connecting it to mission. How, how does liturgy sacraments form us for everyday life and mission? Um, I look at streams of renewal, and one of those streams is the charismatic stream. Um, and so I'll, I'll send you an early preview of that, Luke, but um, you can, can follow me on Twitter. I'm very interactive there. Uh, my personal website is uh, winfieldbevins.com. And then Twitter, just Winfield Bevins. And so, um, yeah, people can interact with me there and kind of follow kind of things that I'm working on. Great. Yeah. And you're, you're also very active on Twitter with a lot of great stuff that you're sharing all the time. So we appreciate it. Thanks for your time, man. I'll let you go. Um, God bless you. And tell everybody who's listening and viewing, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate you for checking out this podcast. Thanks so much, Luke, for having me. Have a great day.